It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Irish Times Inside Business Podcast, in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. On Tuesday, a new report from the Central Bank of Ireland showed that motor insurers here have their most profitable year since 2009. Between them, they made operating profits of €163 million, euro, or more than €300 million euro if you add in the profits they kicked over to their parent companies overseas via reinsurance. Last year, of course, was a peculiar one given the impact of COVID restrictions on traffic volumes with 40,000 fewer claims during the year as a whole. So against that backdrop, where Irish motorists ripped off last year? Will premiums continue to fall? And what impact will the new rules around judicial awards have on insurance costs? Joining me on the line now to try and answer some of these questions are Joe Brennan of the Irish Times and Conor Faulkner, a former Director of Consumer Affairs with AA Ireland. Now, Joe Brennan, you were reporting on this for the Irish Times this week. Um, just take us through some of the headline numbers in this central bank report. Yeah, I suppose the, the jump out figure obviously is the the profit figure that was generated by the motor insurance uh, industry in Ireland uh, last year, um, amounting to 163 million uh, euros in terms of operation profits. But as a percentage of total income, it was 12%. Uh, and that was up from 10% for the previous year. And it was the highest figure um, in the decade or so that the, the central bank data goes back to. It goes back to 2009. Now, you have to consider that for much of that period, the industry was loss-making, heavily loss-making between 2013 and 2016, largely due to the industry's inability to kind of uh, price risk. Uh, and they spent a number of years following that, really hiking up, ratcheting up um, uh, policy uh, policy costs or premiums. Uh, I think they jumped from 60, about 65% in terms of, of cost between 2013 and to the end of 2017 on a quarterly basis before coming back about 16% between uh, the end of 2007 and the end of, two, uh, end of 2020. So even as as the costs were, 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 were even as they, their, their own premiums were coming down, the average premium was coming down, profitability was, 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 was increasing. And, and last year obviously helped dramatically by the fact that we were all locked up, we were not on the road, so we, there were fewer incidents. Now the, 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 the motor uh, insurers did hand out rebates amounting to about €42.5 million. Euros. 
but that's only about 3% of, 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 of uh, gross premiums written by the industry last year. And you talk to consumer uh, bodies, they would say that's a, a derisory figure. Well, it's only €17 Euro per policy, Joe. Uh, I mean, it is pretty miserable, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you consider just a level of profitability that's been generated by the industry last year, the operating profits generated by the industry last year. It, the the, the, the um, rebates only amounted to about 3%, uh, 3 percentage points of, of overall uh, premiums and account for half the overall 7% reduction in premiums over the course of, of, of last year. Now, some insurers would say that they weren't offering rebates last year in itself, that it made more sense to actually reduce the, the, the cost of policies uh, this year when it came to renewal. But the anecdotal evidence we've seen so far is that we're seeing reductions of somewhere between 5 and 7% uh, so far this year. Now, you also have to take in consideration that this is the last report for 2020, is the last report pre the the introduction of the Judicial Council guidelines for 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 personal personal injury uh, claims awards, so that will be kind of reflected uh, next year. But even with that, we've seen uh, Piab uh, saying that um, it's seen a reduction of about forty percent in awards uh, in claims that it has been assessing between the introduction of the Judicial uh, Council review, uh, Judicial, Judicial Council. Um, recommendations in, in April and the end of September. And yet we're only seeing about 7%, between 5% reduction in, in, in premiums over, over that period of time. Yeah, Payev, of course, being the Personal Injuries Assessment Board. Conor Faulkner, you worked with, the, uh, with AA Ireland for, uh, what, 30 years or so? 30, 30 and AA years. Ireland was, was selling uh, insurance policies into the retail market, although not underwriting them. So what did you make of the results from this report? To some, it's, uh, it's another example of profiteering yeah. by the insurance sector. What's your view? Well, the insurance sector is never popular. It, if you ask the ordinary consumer, it's a bit like mentioning bankers. You know, we, we could have a conversation about how well or otherwise the banking sector is doing. Typical man on the street would instinctively despise bankers. Uh, that's a bit unfair, but, you know, it wouldn't be a cliche if there weren't reasons for it and truth in it. And, and something similar with insurance companies. If you say insurance company to a consumer, you know, their, their first instinct is they're ripping me off. Uh, why is that their first instinct? Because it has on occasion been true. Uh, there are, you know, deep malaises in the way in which insurance and compensation has been handled in Ireland. Um, but there are also ways in which it's unfair. I insurance is a long-term business. Um, the uh, underwriters have to think in five, seven-year cycles. Um, and, and, you know, if that's your business, if you look at the broadest sense, you know, we, we, we saw... Um, premiums going down for a four-year period, four or five-year period after the financial crisis. You know, then they they were in, in, increased significantly for five years, trending downwards at the moment. Now, insurance companies have to take the rough with the smooth. So, for an unpopular industry, if if one year in a cycle looks like a very profitable year, um, they they'll receive an awful lot of criticism. Um, but but I think from the consumer's point of view, right now, um, the 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 trend is down, and I think the consumer is probably in for some good news over the next couple of years in terms of um, premiums for motor. Um, that is in part because of what Joe was talking about with the, the uh, re reduction overall in the cost of settling claims, uh, a reduction in legal expenses and, and a strengthening of the role of PIAB. Now, that's all been a little bit slow and a little bit frustrating. There is still a lot of waste in the system, but on the whole, 
those costs, which were always wasteful costs in the value chain, are, are, are coming down. And that's good for consumers. Um, and then in terms of pure underwriting, um, well, the, the premium trend is down now. You tend as an industry, you'll see pendulum sweeps. Um, they, they'll get insanely uh, um, cost competitive or price competitive for a period because they're all about recruiting portfolio. You get companies behaving like Quinn did and, you know, forgetting to take the long term view, underpricing and, and then finding out and then having systemic failures. So the industry has had those systemic failures, those collective, uh, you know, myopic mistakes that the industry has made. We've needed bailouts. We have uh, levies on consumer premiums to bail them out. Um, but, you know, as of right now, touch wood, all the indicators for consumers are, are, are that premiums will come down. Still plenty of issues in that industry, but premiums for now, I think, will come down. Joe, you were making the point in the Irish Times during the week that the true profit figure is actually masked by uh, a lot of reinsurance that goes on between uh, insurers based in Ireland and their parent companies, mostly insurers, their parent companies overseas, haven't they? Just explain to us how that works. Yeah, so if you look back towards the kind of the first half of, of the last decade, um, Irish um, firms, Irish insurance companies, and they were mostly uh, Irish units of overseas uh, overseas companies, typically can relied on 7%. Basically, 7% of their exposure was reinsured elsewhere, either through third parties or through their parent uh, parent groups. We saw a massive spike in 2015 to about 33%. So it went from about 7% to 33% in terms of the overall proportion of, of motor uh, premiums that ended up being uh, reinsured. Now, that was largely to uh, groups owned the, the the parent entities owned by the parent of of a number of these reinsure a number of these insurers uh UK parents uh continental european parents US parents so there were intra group kind of deals uh, a small portion of that was done by way of kind of third party reinsurance but effectively what you see there is that the income from that is seeded from the local or given up by the, the local company to the, the parent company. Um, and that would have boosted the overall or the gross uh, profits of, 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 of the industry in general. Now, the industry representative group, Insurance Ireland, would say, would say that the parent groups would largely take on these premiums and effectively reinsure that as part of their overall group reinsurance uh, policies or reinsurance exposure. But the extent of that, we don't know uh, to what extent they actually uh, that was ceded to other to other third party reinsurers. But if you look at it on the face of it, the bulk of the reinsurance is actually done with with parent groups. Now you can see a benefit from that. So back in when we had a hugely volatile market in terms of in terms of losses, the, the fact that we had new insurance rules, solvency two rules coming in 2015, 2016, it allowed large groups rather than actually inject capital into local entities. And for some, in some instances, it would be kind of trapped capital. They were allowed to look at it from a, an overall group point of view. And they allowed kind of cross or internal or intra-group uh, type reinsurance deals. And there was a way of also maybe allowing for capacity in, in the Irish market to remain in the Irish market where they could actually take an overall group view rather than actually face the negative headlines of injecting capital locally. To, so to an extent, it actually allowed kind of capacity to remain in the market and maybe it allowed 
companies, overseas companies to actually remain in the Irish market rather than saying, look, it's a massively pro- loss-making market, let's just remain. But it, it, certainly the level of reinsurance that's done in Ireland is typically with the, the, the parent group rather than through uh, third-party reinsurance co- companies. And just in terms of numbers, Joe, we talked about the profit um, that was made last year, $163 million in operating profit, the strongest number since 2009. But uh, in addition to that, another 144 million euro was effectively kicked over uh, via reinsurance to the to the parent groups. Yeah, and again, the bulk of that was to the the, the parent groups. 144 all told in terms of income ceded by the the local entities. And in addition, what's not covered is uh, the extent. Well, what is covered in the um, in the report is just the extent of of commissions that are paid out. Uh, the overall commissions have increased about fourteen percent back in twenty fifteen to about seventy percent as of last year. And to some extent, some of the companies would actually have be would have units that would be tied to the to the to the Irish company, basically tied brokers. So that's basically commissions paid out to their own subsidiaries, as, as it were. Um, Connor, how did the AA model work? Where did the AA exactly fit into um, motor insurance? Well, as an intermediary, um, so a quasi-broker, if you like, but essentially what the AA did was brought a block of business and negotiated bespoke deals with underwriters. So they've had a panel of underwriters of varying sizes. At one stage, at one stage there were three underwriters on the AA's motor panel. So the AA brings its block of about 120,000 policies uh, and essentially will do a bulk deal with the broker. Um, and you know, laterally, they have expanded the panel. So there's kind of a bit of um, flexing there. Sometimes you look at your model and think, OK, if I have more panel members, I can accept more risks. Uh, on the other hand, if you have a smaller number of panel members, then, you know, you become a more important partner to each of them. Um, but, you know, so that's the sort of the, the, the middle ground that, that AA trods. Also, the AA services all of those policies. So, um, you know, a, a lot of what is called commission to brokers is actually, you know, like the internal model that Joe was talking about where they're tied. I mean, essentially, there's are internal costs that have to be paid anyway. So, you know, if a, a company like the AA looks after all the records, issues all the documents, um, you know, ensures that everything is sold in, in accordance with regulators and guidelines and monitoring, and, you know, that could include everything from retaining the recording of the original sales call for seven years to, uh, you know, issuing certs and discs to motorists. So all of that has a cost. And uh, in the broker model, if you've got sufficient scale, you can handle a lot of that and and you can essentially bulk buy from the underwriters. And that's what the AA did, um, adding value as a middle uh, middleman, I guess. One thing that uh, strikes in these annual reports, Connor, is the settlement numbers, let's say via PIAB and via the litigation route. And typically what these, well, this is the third such report now, and typically what it shows is that the amount of settlement paid out, whether uh, it's via PIAB or, or litigation, um, broadly speaking, it's it's around the same. I mean, if you look at this report for last year, in terms of a PIAB settlement, 21,845. If you go to litigation route, it's 23,454. So that's less than two grand difference. Um, but the legal costs uh, attached to, to both are substantially different. In, in the case of PIAP, just 665 euros per case. And in the case of litigation, over 15,000 euros uh, per case. And in terms of time as well, um, two years uh, to settle with PIAP, nearly four years through litigation. What, what does that tell you? 
Well, it tells you a couple of things. Firstly, it tells you that litigation uh, is an enormous waste of time and money and energy. Uh, essentially, this is an, an, an artificial construct in the insurance landscape, and it is you know, caused and perpetuated by lawyers, to be frank, and then to some extent enabled by insurers who didn't really care that this was going on, provided they could price it and charge the punter. Um, but essentially, PIAB should be the settlement mechanism of choice. It is in two thirds of cases, roughly. And in those two thirds of cases, the unambivalent case where you crash into me and um, I have a broken arm, uh, you know, the, all that has to be settled is quantum. The difficulty had been historically that uh, that quantum is, is variable when you go litigation. So you could look at those aggregated figures and say litigation, you know, doesn't get you much more than going the PIAB route. But what it got you was a chip to put on the roulette wheel. Um, and, and that was very, very attractive. And, and, you know, consumers, unfortunately, were part of this ecosystem as well. And loads and loads of punters, uh, you know, regarded a trip on a footpath as, as equivalent to a small lotto win. And the whole ecosystem tolerated this. And as I say, insurers just priced it in. And now th there's been talk about reform in that area for many, many years. Uh, and the, I recall the establishment of PIAB. You may remember Dorothea Dowling did a seminal report into the insurance industry about 15, 20 years ago, which led to the establishment of PIAB. Um, uh, but even so, this is an ongoing uh, issue. There is still wasteful litigation in the system. Uh, it is to some degree enabled because everybody involved is making money out of it. So everybody's incentivized to, to keep the thing going. Um, we have to encourage as a trend the move away from the courts. And I think the, the recent curtailment of settlements shows really good sign that that may work. Um, the year just gone will go into the record books as a funny anomalous year because of COVID. It will show as a super profitable year for the industry because they had collected premiums in advance on pricing assumptions and then the risk dropped way, way down. Um, so we'll probably wind up forgetting about this two-year period when we look backward in analysis. But in terms of the broader trend, we would hope to see the wasteful legal cost component of insurance claims um, diminishing. And, and that, along with cyclical, cyclical factors, is also pointing in premiums coming down for consumers. Funny enough, when I was representing AA, Kieran, I got into trouble with the regulator for um, speculating or making guesses about what might happen with insurance premiums because it was considered price signaling. Uh, so I remember, you know, calling in capacity as an analyst uh, that I expected premiums to go up. And, uh, you know, I, I was calling that on the basis of what I could see, but wound up, um, you know, get, getting wings clipped by the, the regulator on the on the grounds that it was price signalling. Um, so I don't have to fear that now that I'm unemployed. Um, but uh, as I say, from the consumer's point of view, we're in for a period, I think, of, of premiums coming down. That period will probably last for another year, two, three um, and, and, and then it'll go wrong again, as it's so oft has before. Yeah, mind you, I, I seem to recall when PIAB was established, and I say it was a good number of years ago now at this stage, that PIAB was going to be the route uh, that, that people would go for settlements and it would bring the cost uh, way down. That never really happened. Why? Well, it sort of happened, and it currently happens for two-thirds, but it was immediately after that PIAB legislation was announced, it was challenged by the legal industry, uh, who insisted that you had a right to consult with a solicitor. Um, and so, you know, that, that right reasserted. Plenty of people chose to do so. Um, and, you know, I think, I think that was unfortunate at the time because, um, you know, this wasn't truly about the rights of man. Uh, this was about a fantastic cottage industry um, peopled by solicitors. But <laughs> so, you know, they, 
they won that decision and I guess you can see why from a constitutional point of view but the practical effect of it has been that even though PIAB exists as the you know a very very good and fair and quick settlement mechanism there is still the temptation to say you know what go to a lawyer instead or go to a lawyer as well and maybe in your particular case it'll be worth putting a chip on the roulette wheel that is the court's Um, And, you know, sometimes that route has been shocking in that it's heads you win, tails you don't lose, you know. And anyway, even the threat of litigation very often meant that the solicitor could go back to the insurance company and and augment the settlement. So it was, you know, a no-lose proposition for the consumer. Go with PIAB or, you know, hear what PIAB says, but give the lawyer a ring as well and see if you can shake another apple out of the tree. So, you know, that's why lawyers are still involved in a third of cases. I mean, I prefer it was zero or, you know, certainly zero where, where, where liability is disputed. It's just not an ecosystem in which lawyers belong at all. Um, but there they are. Okay, now we, we obviously don't have any representatives from the legal profession here to defend <laughs> okay, them. Okay, I, I, think... I, I meet them regularly. Um, <laughs> Indeed. Um, I, I, I think they would dispute some of, uh, some they, of that. But I, anyway, I, that's, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, to be fair, I perhaps I did bit of hyperbole there and I've, I've engaged with people like Ken Murphy on that and there is another side to, of the argument to be put uh, but you know I would stand by the general comment that the the, the amount of um, legal industry representation that exists in the insurance landscape is far too high and in the broader sense it's adding no value and it, 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 it is recognition of that uh, that resulted in, 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 in the legislation so you know we all agreed there was too much of it uh, and the fact that it's coming down at foot of legislation is 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 to be welcomed. The data I gave earlier, the numbers I gave earlier were for settlements below 100K, which I think is 94% of all settlements in the market. The other ones um, tend to be big numbers, don't they? They tend to be life-changing uh, kind of situations um, where it, it probably is appropriate for lawyers to be involved. It is, yeah. And, you know, clear, clearly uh, uh, th- those are a very small number of cases and they're extremely significant and impactful for the individuals involved. Um, on the technical side, that brings in things like discount rate for very large settlements, um, which is you know also something that can play into insurance pricing. But um, yeah, I, I think that most consumers would recognise that the problem we're talking about in insurance is that you know prices are a bit too high because there's an awful lot of nonsense that's tolerated in the system, uh, and typically that nonsense is is you know exaggerated or overstated claims or claims happening too frequently. Um, but you know we're we're not talking about the catastrophic, disastrous. Um, events that occur. And I don't think that's where the problem lies. At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Joe, uh, we mentioned earlier about some of the changes that have uh, come into play this year. Um, PIAB has been strengthened and um, changes to judicial awards, or at least we we hope there will be. Uh, Have we seen any of that uh, effect come into play so far uh, in in terms of the uh, awards that have been handed out this year? 
Yeah, so, so Paya is the only kind of reference fund we have so far. Um, and obviously, you know, the, the whole reason for the judicial uh, guidelines is to push an awful lot of these cases that ended up going legal, going down the, going the, 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 the litigation route, coming back to Paya because there's no real benefit from going the, 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 the legal route rather than using the Paya uh, route. But figures um, released by Paya uh, in the middle of last month, they were saying that they've seen a 40% reduction between uh, the middle of April and the end of September in, in, terms, of, uh, in terms of awards. So presumably you would expect that to kind of feed down through to uh, further reductions in, in, in premiums. But also on the other side, you know, one of the things that has kind of curtailed the rate at which uh, premiums have been reduced is the fact that the increasingly profitable motor part of the insurance companies, and we're talking now about general insurers that are in on a number of lines of business in the Irish market, not just specialists that would just kind of, you know, be in the, the motor, dipping in and out of the, of, of, of the motor part of the industry. But the general insurers have, you know, basically been relying in recent years on the increasing profitable uh, motor part of the business to uh, subsidise or cross-subsidise uh, largely loss-making uh, employer liability, uh, public liability and, 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 and commercial property I- insurance. And obviously last year as well, we've had a, the, the impact of business interruption claims. You know, while the industry had largely walked away from its responsibility, we saw two large, uh, one Irish uh, test case involving pubs, another one, a UK case, another t- UK test case, which had ramifications for a lot of the operators that would be operating in the Irish market. And between them all, Insurance Ireland are saying that the industry in total has now basically ring-fenced about 430 million in terms of in in terms of uh, costs that will have to be paid out to well costs between payouts and also running costs in terms of of, of business interruption uh, awards. Now the extent to which that's been paid out is 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 I think it's only about 100, 130 million that's been paid out so far. That's largely due to the fact that they haven't really settled the whole quantum in terms of what needs to be paid out. And the FBD case, when it comes to the uh, the, 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 the pubs case, the, the landmark rebooting and that, in, in January of this year, while there, has been, uh, there have been hearings in terms of the quantum or the amount that needs to be paid out to affected uh, pub groups, it will be next month, December, before there'll be a final ruling on that. And there's an interesting thing going on in the background, Joe, isn't there? You mentioned brokers there. You're just, we're seeing consolidation in the insurance broker market. And we're seeing some um, some sizable sums being paid for some long-standing traditional Irish-owned uh, brokers. What's going on? Yeah, so um, a big driver, well, two big drivers. One, the big driver is that a, a number of the, the, the brokers um, are guys who are, you know, would have set up in the 70s and the 80s. They're at that period in their life where they're, you know, in their, in their 60s looking to looking to um, take money off the table uh, and also facing the other side, facing uh, increasing uh, costs when it comes to compliance and, and, and regulation themselves. So on the buyer side, we're seeing mostly private equity type money. And the beauty for those guys is they can actually uh, leverage up when they're carrying out these deals and, and borrow large amounts due to the fact that this is a pretty much an annuity business that, you know, you know, irrespective of where you are in the cycle, you still need to go out and insure your house or insure your car. So there, it's pretty sticky in terms of, of that type of business. And while people may move around in terms of insurance underwriters or providers, if you're with a broker, you tend to stick with that kind of broker. Um, 
so the yeah the big driver there is is certainly the the kind of private equity money and obviously private equity is is a wash with money at the moment we're at a point in the cycle where interest rates are very very low so it's 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 one of those areas where private equity is particularly interested in we've seen valuations i think sources were telling us that valuations you know multiples of ebitda um valuations would have been 5 to seven times, maybe in the middle of the last decade. Now you're seeing valuations in terms of brokers anywhere up between eight and ten times. So it's some people are saying it's kind of the top of the market. We've seen others well uh, above that. Some people are saying that's really kind of top of the market in terms of the, the prices being paid for these uh, types of, 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 of businesses. Connor, um, can I just ask you about that? A lot of private equity money coming into the market. A private equity likes to make money. On top of the money that they put in, and and to do it over a time frame of you know I don't know three five six years something like that, so ultimately uh, going to lead to higher costs for the consumer. Um, well, in the abstract sense, that private equity always wants to be paid back in the long run, and uh, in the insurance landscape, the only the only entity putting money in is the consumer. That's where the annuity that Joe referred to comes from. So in that sense, Kieran, yes. But I think Joe's analysis is absolutely spot on. I mean, you can see for, for brokers, the compliance cost is, is becoming more onerous. So you really can only sell something like a motor insurance, a commoditized motor insurance policy. You really have to sell it at scale. And for those small brokers, um, you know, it, 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 scale is more difficult to achieve. Uh, so it's a good opportunity for them. And then there's certainly the factor of private equity and money needing somewhere to go. Because as Joe said, this is a, you know essentially an extremely robust industry in terms of um, a new, uh, in terms of annual income and predictability. And those are very, very attractive things for, for private equity. So you can see that trend continuing. What it means for the consumer at the end of the ecosystem, it's, it's well, you know, that that's hard to know. Um, I, I, I think in terms of the motor insurance premium that we pay, it'll probably follow the traditional cycles that it's done over the last 20, say I've been with the AA 30 years, probably do, you know doing the more senior job with them for 20 odd. And in that period, the insurance industry has been through three, four cycles. And, and you will get a period where premiums trend upwards. You'll get a period where premiums trend downward. At the moment, they're trending downward. Uh, and there's, there's a couple of factors that are feeding into that. So I think the consumer, in that sense, happy days for a couple of years. I think longer term than that, we have to be sure that we have profitable insurers in Ireland. There has to be good quality of competition. And um, we tend not to attract attract. Uh, um, underwriters into Ireland because we're a complex landscape and information can be difficult to uh, to access. That inhibits a bit. We're bloody expensive on the claim side. That inhibits a bit. Um, so I don't know. We will have private equity um, owning insurance brokerages. Will the consumer notice the difference? Probably not, or at least they'll only start to notice it when their premiums start going up again in a couple of years. We used to talk previously um Connor, about uh, the settlements that were made directly by insurers and the fact that we didn't really have any good sense of it. We didn't have any uh, clear window into how much insurers are paying uh, directly. Um, has that changed uh, at all or is it going to change? Will it ever change? 
Well, actually, the central bank report that's published, um, it, it you know has some of that information in it, and you know central bank went looking for that information. Insurance data used to be reported in a consolidated way through the blue book, something called the blue book, um, but it was very very difficult to meaningfully access that information. And amongst the variables that were hidden was how much are insurance companies paying directly to settle uh, in the case where litigation is threatened, um, because you know historically insurance insurers could be should we be, it could be a little bit lazy in that regard uh, and could just simply agree a settlement figure to make the litigation go away. Uh, uh, and um, it was very, it was, Central Bank wanted that information, couldn't properly get it. But um, that data is a bit more transparent now. Uh, and, you know, I say there's some of it in the report just published. And we're given to understand that that number is trending downwards and that more people are using PIAB uh, and that of those choosing the litigation route, there's reason to believe that the roulette wheel has less potential profit on it and therefore uh, the temptation to use it should be diminishing. Joe, any sense that some more foreign players might come into the Irish market? We we obviously lost some players, people like Satanta, okay, they were niche, um, but the likes of uh, the, the Quinn insurance business that subsequently went on, um, ultimately owned by Liberty, that has um, that slimmed down its operation quite significantly, didn't it? Um, so I'm just wondering whether we might see, given the increased profitability, we might see some new players coming in? Um, I haven't come across any kind of signs that there are more kind of players looking to come into the market um, as, as things stand. I suppose the real kind of issue is in terms of capacity, in terms of the, the, the business side, the employer liability and the public liability side of, of insurance, which is another area that has been under increased focus. While we had the data on central bank data uh, on the motor industry, this is our third report. We've only had our first report uh, in the middle of this year in terms of data on the uh, employer liability and public liability and and, and commercial property uh, part of the insurance uh, industry. And there you see that there's been a number of of players that have pulled out of, uh, certainly in covering areas of leisure and tourism and anything basically anything to do with fun. Um, They've been pulling out because of the extraordinary kind of awards that can be uh, that can be awards to people who were who were injured there. So the, the the profitability of that industry has been under pressure for 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 some time. I think that's the area where the you know where there's a real issue around capacity more so than in the the, the, the motor part of the business. Connor, do you see that picture changing over the next while? Um, probably not. I think if you are a foreign insurer looking to get some capital into Ireland, it was probably a little more attractive a couple of years ago when premiums were trending upwards. I mean, there was a period when we had some insurance failures in Ireland so that there was capacity available in the market. There were insur- there were motorists who needed somewhere to go. Uh, and at the same time, for a, for a new entrant, you wouldn't have the legacy of, of high claims and, and you would have a rising premium environment into which to sell. Probably looks a little bit less attractive now uh, with premiums trending down. So will we get more international competition in the Irish market? Um, we may eventually, but but I don't see it happening quickly. And I think when it does come around, it'll probably be in a rising premium environment more so. But also, access to information is still uh, is still difficult for for a new market entrant. Just just knowledge of customers. Um, there, there there are barriers to entry there. So, um, as I say, Ireland looked like an attractive bet, uh, um, probably more attractive a few years ago than than now at this point in the cycle. 
By the way, Connor, will this uh, switch to electric vehicles? Interested to get your uh, thoughts on on this. Um, will that have any impact on on the insurance uh, market at all? Well, uh, probably not, unless the, the the parallel shift in vehicle ownership uh, comes along with it. Because you know, you, you read some material about what's expected there, but in theory, the new model could be that very few people actually own their own cars; that they're all sort of. Uh, on on lease or shared ownership um, or shared use platforms. And that could have quite a significant um, implication. It could be a a different model. Um, But straightforwardly using an electric car rather than a petrol or diesel car um, probably won't affect um, premium much. Uh, And I I think the more common electric vehicles become, uh, it'll be even more true that they just won't be distinguishable from other vehicles that are on the road. Yeah, and I know they're not close by, but autonomous cars, you know, ones that don't require drivers actually do the driving. Where where does the insurance model sit in that scenario? Yeah, again, good question. It might be that uh, it, it's a different model again because the typical risk no longer needs to be insured for. Um, so, you know, the remarkable thing about autonomous cars when we do get used to them is that they will never make a concentration error. So uh, they should, in theory, um, you know, in the same way that ATMs removed bank teller errors or clerical errors you know autonomous cars in theory will 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 prevent um humanly caused accidents um still to be convinced that that's actually true and it and it's still fully to be confirmed that uh, it, it, it's the debate is still going on as let's say uh, my autonomous tesla causes a crash um am i responsible is tesla responsible and how is that model actually going to work and, and um, you know i think in this area t- technology is actually ahead of society we, we truly haven't thought through or discussed the rules for that yet uh, what will the nature of the insurance contract be when the drive driver is no longer actually doing the driving we, we just don't know yeah it'll be an interesting one now you left the aa uh, earlier this year i mentioned after uh, what about 30 years you were the voice of uh, of aa for for a long number of years uh, any, have you made any plans for the future, Connor? Um, well, I'm doing a couple of things. I did. Uh, I mean, I mean, I worked for thirty years. Never took a career break. So um, I, I did take the summer off, um, which was nice. Uh, six, I, I just turned six months out of the AA, uh, which means I can now be a bit more um, active. So I'm sort of I'm, I'm I'm stepping back up. So I've started to do a couple of things, and I'll probably do a couple more. But I I can't imagine that. Um, I will reimmerse myself in a full-time role because uh, I, I'll say one thing for those who work in the insurance industry uh, and you know in business generally, um, the, the, the roles at senior level tend to be immersive roles. Uh, and sometimes you only hear about these guys and girls when they're being criticised, but uh, uh, you know they, 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 they do work hard for a living and it can be immersive. So um, I, I think I'll do a couple of projects here and there rather than reimmerse myself in, uh, in something like that. Good, okay, well, we wish you well in that. Uh, Connor Falkman and Joe Brennan, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Connor Falkman and Joe Brennan. The show was produced by Declan Conlon with JJ Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor, EY, for its continued support. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 